while we sit here playing the game of which regional bank is going to fail next, or maybe which other bank outside the United States is about to find itself in the same situation, we continue to get all of these deflationary monetary signals, which to me are far more important than whichever bank name is going to come up next on anyone's list. Deflationary money, as I say, is about the interruption in the natural or the necessary circulation of money and credit throughout the global economy, something impeding that natural flow, which therefore leads to all sorts of negative consequences, including financial volatility and difficulties, as well as in the worst case, if it's allowed to go too far unchecked, deflationary economy, which necessar isn't necessarily about falling prices so much as falling employment, which is the worst of the worst cases. And as we've been talking about for all, for even before Silicon Valley Bank, the markets are expecting us to have more deflationary money and therefore deflationary economic consequences. And that has not changed one bit since. And over the last several weeks, we continue to get lots of warning signs that the deflationary money part, as well as the deflationary economy, are continuing to happen. Remember the lessons of Bear Stearns. Bear Stearns in its aftermath, what did the banking system do? It began to build a cash cushion and a collateral cushion, big one there, began to de-risk portfolios, which we've seen that in the wake of the banking system's failure this year. Uh, just talked about that yesterday with the sluice data, tightening credit standards, all that stuff, as well as hedging the hell out of everything you can because you are preparing for downside cases and many in many instances really nasty downside cases so we look at something like the interest rate swap market and it continues to send us the same signals both about collateral collateral cushions and collateral scarcity maybe even collateral run as well as the high degree of demand for hedging demand for hedging because that's what a negative swap spread really tells us a negative swap spread we look at the quoted fixed leg of the interest rate swaps price, which is swap price, which is a swap between an a floating rate interest payment and a fixed rate interest payment. And if you're looking at it from the perspective of receiving the fixed rate interest payment, if that fixed rate payment was less than say the same maturity US Treasury, why would you ever take the interest rate swap? Because if you can get say 3% on a long run US Treasury or maybe 4% nowadays, although now it's more closer to three than four, why would you accept lower than that from a financial counterparty when you can get the US government to pay you a much higher yield? And the reason is because you want to hedge something. You wanna hedge something in your own portfolio in some of your activities that you're undertaking. At the same time, you wanna hedge something and you're increasingly wanting to do that hedging the money dealers in the system that provide that service may be less willing to provide it. So a negative swap spread tells us something about the systemic demand for these instruments for hedging, as well as the systemic willingness and ability for the dealer system to supply it. And so we see more and more negative swap spreads or deeper and deeper negative swap spreads or swap spreads that turn positive into negative. It tells us something about both those things. And in the context of the last several months, the lessons of Bear Stearns, those are incredibly important signals to pay attention to. Now, what are those signals? 
What's going on in the consumer economy? We got those consumer price data today, CPI in the US. We'll get to both of those things. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. As always, thank you very much for joining me. And if you are interested, Eurodollar University has memberships available, exclusive content where we talk about the monetary background. We're getting into how to read curves and what they're telling us. We've done interest rate swaps and things like that. We also have research subscriptions available. A daily briefing I do, that's a partnership with MarketsInsiderPro.com, where there's a bundle available there. The day's big macro news, the big movers in the marketplace and what's going on in the curves, as well as a deep dive analysis where we often dive deep into the interest rate swap market because it's that important. Eurodollar University, the website, Eurodollar.University, information about memberships, subscriptions, check us out there. Now, if you remember way back in April, we got a major signal in the interest rate swap market where the swap spreads fell deeply negative. And it was a Monday. And it, was, it was weird because it was the Monday after Easter, which meant that most of the European and British banks were closed. And what we saw was the 30-year swap spread plummet to minus 49 basis points. The 10-year swap spread, which is a big one, fell to minus 14, which is almost a record low. The five years uh, fell to minus 12 basis points. Again, almost a record low. These are similar to spreads that happened back in September. Remember all of that, when all this stuff really started to happen and kick off before the curves really inverted. The market was sending a warning about what I said in the opening. Demand for hedging and the unwillingness of dealers to hedge at, at reasonable prices. So if demand of, for hedging goes way up, you're willing to take less, receive less of a fixed rate. Dealers are actually charging you higher premium to, to undertake that hedging. They also may be compensating for lack of collateral or lack of good quality collateral, as I mentioned in a video, which I will link here. So it's, it's hedging, demand for hedging, the willingness of dealers to hedge, as well as collateral conditions. Basically, everything that we want to know about the monetary system in a bunch of really pretty straightforward signals once you get past the negative swap spread. So that was on April 10th. Then on May 1st, May 1st was the day after, or the Monday after First Republic. On May 1st, we got another major hit in the swap market. We got the 30-year spread falling to minus 58 basis points, which is getting down close to a record low there. Well, let's get a little bit further to go. The 10-year back at minus 14, even the five-year at minus three. Fast forward one week to May 8th, this past Monday. Once again, we got a not, not as pronounced of a dip in swap spreads as in, uh, as in April, April 10th or on May 1st. But here we had minus 49 for the 30s, minus four for the 10s, and plus four, which is low for the five-year swap spread. So again, another one-day or one-day compression in spreads consistent with demand for hedging, unwillingness to supply it. What's interesting about those three days in particular is two of those days happened to be holidays, at least British bank holidays. April 10th, as I mentioned, was the Monday after Easter, which most European banks as well as British banks were closed. But this past Monday, something about a king over in England, British banks were closed. But what also is interesting is all three of those days, May 1st, May 8th, as well as April 10th, those are Mondays. So we have to wonder, 
I mean, on May 1st, there was no wondering because First Republic, that failed over that Friday into the weekend. Are financial participants going into these weekends worried and then have to hedge on Monday because they see things that maybe we don't see? It's really interesting, too, how um, it's not just Monday, though. We got another little bit of a of compression and swap spreads on May 4th, which was the date last week. That was Thursday. But that was that in the morning, remember, we had the flash crash, as I talked about with Mr. Stephen Van Meter, flash crash in oil prices, which was about liquidity. So there was a there was a there's a little bit of a hit to swap spreads there. The 10-year got to minus two basis points last Thursday. The five-year fell all the way to plus six. So Again, as we mentioned on that video about the WTI flash crash, what we're really saying here are all of these anomalies and outliers aren't really anomalies and outliers. They are signals about deflationary money, lack of liquidity, inelasticity in the monetary system that is causing all of these things. And with the Mondays, not Mondays, I mean, it's always it's always tempting to link these kinds of things together. European banks on holiday, maybe that's something to keep in mind. What happens to the system when European banks aren't aren't available either for holidays or if they're having their own problems as I, as I also discussed recently with the deposit flight in Europe. Any number of things, but all of these all work out to the same thing, which is as we opened with the lessons of Bear Stearns. Maybe de-risking in dealer portfolios. They don't want to engage in hedging. High demand for hedging because, let's face it, has anything actually improved over the last several weeks? The answer to that is no. As far as collateral and improvement, we don't see much of that. I mentioned the Treasury bill yields at auctions recently, which I think is worth mentioning again just briefly because of what we're seeing in the swap market and swaps are connected to collateral here. Again, the four-week bill yield bill auction last year produced a four last week produced a low of 4.75%, which is well below the RP. That's not money market funds selling because of the debt ceiling. That's dealers really wanting bids or really wanting these bills. And that's despite the issuance of 17-day and 21-day cash management bills. And the Treasury is going to sell some more cash management bills, a lot of them, in the next couple of weeks, too. There's tremendous demand for bills. Uh, the real big one, though, was the six-month uh, Treasury bill auction, which happened on Monday. I mentioned that, too, recently. The high was just 489, which is well below the current RRP of 505. The median, 484. The, the low was 474. So consistent with swap spreads, we're seeing heavy demand for bills at the low end of these auctions, low end, of, low end yield, high price, which is connected to dealers and lack of collateral. As we have deflationary money, we end up with a deflationary economy. Talked about China, its reopening coming up short, and how that is actively creating deflationary conditions, at least in commodities as well as certain goods. Uh, trade recession is contributing to China's weakness, which is also further pushing lower commodity prices. And now we're getting, well, not now, but we're continuing to get consumer price disinflation in CPIs. Uh, the U.S. CPI just came out today for the month of April. And it's basically, no surprises, basically everything that we thought it would be. Mostly still, what's, what's holding it up is 
the statistical imputations of owners' equivalent rent and the, and the like, shelter prices, but those are beginning to roll over too. And as they are, they're starting to expose some of the other disinflationary and even deflationary, deflationary forces that have been at work over the last several months, really going back before March, which in one sense is concerning because what does that mean after we really get the fallout from March, sluice and everything else? So the headline, headline seasonally adjusted CPI came in at a annual year-over-year change of 4.957%. That compared to last month, March, 4.987%. So just a small improvement there. Month over month, there was an increase in acceleration, mainly due to gasoline prices, which have detached from oil for non-economic reasons. But the headline... Seasonally adjusted was up 0.37% in April compared to March. That was much faster than the 0.05% that month-over-month -month increase in March as gasoline prices weren't as buoyant. The core rate. The core rate has basically done nothing. It dropped down to a low level around 5.5% year-over-year change and has stayed in basically the same narrow range, both year over year as well as month over month for the last four months. So basically all of 2023, it's because the economy slowed down and now we're the core rates kind of stuck behind rental prices and a few other, uh, other small items. The annual rate in the month of April, according to BLS, 5.54%. That was better than 5.60% last month but basically unchanged from February 5.53 and even January, which was 5.55. So stuck in that range. And you can see it too with the monthly changes. Month over month in April was 0.41 compared to 0.38 in March, 0.45 in February, 0.41 in January, and even 0.40 back in December. So if you're Jay Powell or mainstream economists who think this is important, you look at the deceleration in some of the annual rates and then it kind of just gets stuck at 0.4 percent month over month which is a little bit around five percent annual rate so there's still a little bit more room for the headline to fall but that's nowhere near what you want to see but we see in shelter prices as i just mentioned those are starting to roll over which means that regardless of any economic considerations this is all about last year's housing bubble bursting lack of the falling prices in certain indices, which will come into rental prices. So shelter prices aren't real economic prices, but they'll have an effect on the CPI, which will make Jay Powell's transition from rate hikes to a short pause to rate cuts that much easier for him. Hooray for him. The shelter rate year over year, this is shelter including both actual rental prices as, as well as OER, 8.1% year over year, which was slightly less than the 8.2% in March. But month over month, you can see a, a, a more of a determined change here. The month over month rate in April was 0.42% compared to 0.56% in March and 0.76% in February. So shelter is beginning to come down, even though it's still high. And it'll take some months before it really gets into uh, more disinflationary like everything else. And we see that in the CPI data in a couple ways. To me, the biggest one is always services less rent. Because now we have the services economy, the goods economy, you've got energy, you've got goods, you've got inventory, things like that, which are important. But here we have services. Services less, less rent 
just 0.1% month over month in April. That followed a minus 0.03% in March and only a 0.12% in February. So even before we get to the fallout for March, services less rent consumer price increases had basically ground to a halt. Almost none over the last three months. So more weaknesses and more weakness in the services economy. And when you break it up into six month chunks, you can really see the deceleration here. You go back to last April, the six months before and up to and including last April, April 2022, services less rent were rising at a 7.6% annual rate, way too high. Um, through October, again, the six month at an annual rate, 7.4%, so only marginally slower in services. But over the six months in between, up to including now April, it's down to 2.9% annual rate. And most of that was in the three months, the first half of that, the three months of November, December, and January. Since then, services is basically zero. So the economy rolling over, services, prices, disinflation, we've obviously got that in goods, which are only gonna get worse because of the inventory cycle. And here's another one, we'll leave it with this, new car prices actually declined month over month in April for the first time in two years, going all the way back to April, 2021, which happened to be the final month before the huge surge in consumer prices, including automobiles. So there's another one, the economy demand rolling over. That one might actually be related to consumer credit, maybe the sluice data, but either way, We've got disinflation in the real economy in the United States hitting the consumer price index, even if it's not enough for Mr. J. Powell or the media. It's more than enough confirmation of what markets have been expecting and anticipating, which is continued fallout from this deflationary money, interruptions in the free flow of money and credit in the economy that's impacting the global economy and beginning to show signs of impact on the U.S. domestic economy too. Thus, swap spreads, collateral indications, bad steepening on the yield curve, everything that we've been expecting and prepared for. I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge, huge, sincere thank you, Eurodollar University subscribers, Markets Insider Pro subscribers, and our Eurodollar University members. Until next time, take care.